John chapter 3, verse 1 to 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Uh, well, friends, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we pray for all of us now, pray for the children uh, in um, Kids Church and pray for ourselves here that um, by your word and spirit that you would be uh, changing our minds and changing our hearts and uh, helping us to um, uh, consider afresh who Jesus is and what he's done for us, uh, that we would live lives that give honour to you. And we pray in his name. Amen. Uh, the new year is a time for fresh starts. Uh, I think of the new year as like it's like pressing the reset button on life. Uh, the, an old year is finished, a new year begins, and uh, we can begin it with um, some resolutions, can't we? That some of those bad habits that we've been 
um, part of us, uh, that we're going to stop those bad habits, we're going to do better than that. Uh, for young people, a new year can be a time of um, progression in terms of education. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, young people move from one year at school to another year or from primary school into high school or high school into university uh, or high school or university into the workforce. Um, these things tend to happen at the beginning of a new year. And for many of us, it's just a good time to feel a bit refreshed. After a hard year, if, uh, last year and a bit of time off, um, so we can start afresh with the new year. But these things can tend to start to fade after a little while, can't they? Um, it doesn't take long, uh, a few weeks into uh, February and uh, our resolutions have faded away and we're into the grind of life. But there is a fresh start uh, which is not like that. Uh, it's one which never fades and it's one which every person needs. Um, it's a fresh start, uh, so wonderful that it changes our lives deeply and uh, lasts a lot longer than uh, January or February. Today in John's Gospel, we come to what is really one of the best-known and best-loved verses in the whole of the Bible. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's a great verse, isn't it? And we get to look at it today because we're working through uh, the Gospel of John. It's a fantastic verse and it's a a verse which um, flows out of a a meeting, a a conversation uh, that Jesus had with a man by the name of Nicodemus. So I wonder if you would um, mind opening up your Bibles now at John chapter 3 because here we see uh, something about Nicodemus. Uh, We see that Nicodemus was a man, he was the kind of person who may not have actually thought that he was a person who needed to have a fresh start. Um, You see, uh, in the opening verses, uh, John describes Nicodemus as being a Pharisee. Pharisees were a a group of religious men uh, who uh, tended to be confident that um, things were going pretty well for them spiritually. They tended to be uh, confident that they were okay with God, that they were on the right track um, because they worked so hard to obey God's laws. Nicodemus was no ordinary Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, Indeed, um, Jesus, in verse 10, addresses Nicodemus as being Israel's teacher. That is, Nicodemus is a high-ranking and respected religious leader. Not exactly the kind of person who you would think would need to make a New Year's resolution to get right with God, to turn from his evil ways and to put his faith in God. It's not the New Year's resolution we'd expect Nicodemus would have to make. And yet, in verse 2, John notes that Nicodemus came to Jesus, quote, in the night. Now, um, 
<coughs> probably means that he came after the sun had already set and it was dark. But more than that, uh, in John's Gospel, the term the night is often used with a double meaning. Uh, a double meaning in the sense that um, the night uh, is symbolic of darkness and that darkness being spiritual darkness. Uh, it's like in John chapter 13 when Judas Iscariot uh, uh, got up from the table and he left the upper room and John says that he went into the night. He says, and it was night as he went to betray Jesus. Nicodemus is a man who is in spiritual darkness. But there's something very attractive about him. Um, see how he approached Jesus in verse 2. Uh, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who comes from God. It seems that Nicodemus is representing maybe a few other people in um, uh, of, uh, other people as well. But he says, we know that you are a teacher who comes from God for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. You see that? Now Nicodemus knew that Jesus had been performing miracles. Uh, John actually um, talks about that a few verses just above it, that uh, Jesus had been performing miracles. And yet far from discrediting him, far from opposing him, far from being jealous of him as many of the other Pharisees were, he in fact calls him rabbi. And that's astonishing given Nicodemus's status, that one such as him uh, should, uh, uh, should actually refer to a, an itinerant preacher, a carpenter's son, as being rabbi. And he humbly acknowledges that Jesus has indeed come from God. Now, my question is, why is he approaching Jesus in this way? Um, why, is he, why is he saying this? Uh, because he's not actually asking any questions, he's just making these statements. But it seems that, that he's leading to something, isn't it? It seems that Nicodemus realises that he needs to know more about this man. And so Jesus replied by exposing the real need of Nicodemus. And this is our greatest need as well. Verse 3. In reply, Jesus said, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, Nicodemus hadn't come to him and said, uh, Jesus, how can I see the kingdom of God? He didn't, he didn't ask any questions. But this response from Jesus actually evokes um, from Nicodemus a follow-up question, a question which is really the most important question that anyone can ask in life. And that is in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Or again in verse 10, how can this be how can someone be born again what do you mean by this he's not asking about process he really doesn't understand i mean he says to jesus you know you can't send a man back to the maternity ward an old man can't go inside his mother's womb what's he saying here? he's not suggesting that that's what jesus means he's saying i really don't understand what are you talking about 
Jesus is drawing him in. Verse 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean that no one can enter God's kingdom unless he is born of A, water, and B, the Spirit? What does he mean by that? There are several different ways that um, Christians have understood uh, those verses. Uh, some say that the, the water refers to natural birth, as in the amniotic fluids that come out when a person, a baby is born, and therefore that the spirit refers to spiritual birth, so natural birth, spiritual birth. Uh, others think it refers, it's, that it's a reference to baptism, uh, that um, there is the baptism of water, and there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But there is another option which I think makes a better fit. Um, you see, in verse 7, Jesus said that Nicodemus should not be surprised at this. Jesus said to Nicodemus, this idea of being born again, it shouldn't be news to you, Nicodemus. Because in verse 10, Nicodemus was Israel's teacher. None of this should have come as a surprise to someone who was the teacher of God's word. That is, Nicodemus should have known what the Old Testament taught about the new birth. Well, what does the Old Testament teach about the new birth? A couple of important passages are in the um, book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 37... Uh, the prophet Ezekiel spoke about a wonderful time um, down the track in the, f in his, in the future uh, because Ezekiel saw a vision of a valley of dry bones, a, a valley which was full of human skeletons into which skeletons God breathed life. It's a fascinating picture when you read Ezekiel chapter 37. It talks about um, tendons and flesh and skin coming upon these skeletons. And that's a picture of us. Spiritually dead, but being born again to new life. How can this happen? Well, in Ezekiel chapter 36, just prior to this vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, in Ezekiel chapter 36, God promised Israel that one day that he would sprinkle clean water upon them to wash away their sin. And he would put a new spirit in them so that they would have a new heart, a heart not of stone but a heart of flesh, that they would turn back to God in faith and in repentance, in obedience to God's word. Now Nicodemus, as Israel's teacher, should have known this. 
This should have been what he was looking forward to. And it makes sense of life, doesn't it? Um, we've, we've all turned away from God. Um, <clears throat> we may not um, look like we're spiritually dead, but uh, I, I liken it to human beings in our natural state. We're like, it's like when you prune the trees and shrubs at home. We've been doing a bit of that at our place lately. And you cut off a branch and you throw it on the heap, it's still got sap in it. It still looks green. It can still even shoot forth some new fruits for a short while. looks alive. But we know it's dead, don't we? Because it's been cut off from its source. It's been cut off from its root. That's like us. In our sin, we are spiritually dead. We've been, we've, we're cut off from God our Creator. And our greatest need, therefore, is to be born again. To have that new life breathed into us. Now, of course, our physical birth is something which can be plainly seen. When a new baby comes out of the womb, you can see it, you can hear it, you know what's happening, you know why it's happening, you know all about it. It's pretty obvious. But spiritual birth is mysterious. Now, I am certainly no expert on Kanye West, all right? but I do know four things about him. Number one, in the world of rap music, he's the king. Uh, as far as rap music goes worldwide, you know, Kanye West, he's the man. And he has been, you know, millions of young people follow him. He's the king. Number two, he's married to Kim Kardashian. Um, <clears throat> does that give some context? Uh, number three, his life has been all about ego, money, pride and fame. That's just not my assessment, that's his assessment. But fourthly, his latest album is called Jesus is King and every single song on it is about the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw him interviewed recently um, in, a, with an, in front of an audience with, a, with an interviewer and he was humble, he was gentle, he was full of joy in the Lord. And the interviewer was talking to him about this astonishing change that's happened in his life and he said to him what do you do of a night time now Kanye he said well I eat dinner I play with the kids I read my bible and I go to bed whilst Kim watches tv <laughs> and the interviewer said to him so would you now say that you're now a Christian rap artist and he said no I'm a Christian everything. I'm a Christian everything. His life has changed dramatically. How can this be? Um, people are wondering what's going on in his life. What's happened to this man? Well, his wife says, well, he's been born again. He is a radically different new person. You see, 
It's like the wind, says Jesus in verse 8. Wind is invisible. You can't see it. You can't see... They didn't have meteorology back in those days in the same way that we do now, but you can't see where it's come from. You can't see where it's going. You can't see wind. You can hear it. and you, All we know is the effect that it has. Just as God mysteriously changes countless lives every day around the world. Has he changed your life? Now Nicodemus has questioned what Jesus has said, but it's not just an issue of lack of understanding. It's not just that. It's also unbelief. Verse 11 Jesus says to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. You're not believing what I'm saying. Jesus says, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, what's he saying there? Well, Nicodemus thought that Jesus was a teacher and a miracle worker who had come from God, but Jesus is much more than that. His word has authority, for he is the one who has been in heaven. He is the one who is pre-existently in... He is God, the Son, and he's come from heaven into our world. And so what he has to say is worth listening to. He has authority. He is the son of man who has come from heaven. The son of man who in verse 14 must now be lifted up. Just as Moses in verse 14 lifted up the snake in the desert. So the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, what's he talking about? Snake in the desert, lifted up. What Nicodemus should have known. He should have known. You see, in the Old Testament, in um, Numbers chapter 21, uh, Israel had escaped from Egypt and they were now in the desert and they started grumbling against God. You know, don't like the food out here and it was better back in Egypt and they, they turned against God. They wanted to go and they turned against Moses and this is rebellion. This is lack of gratitude for God and what he's done in terms of saving them. It's lack of trust in God and so it's deserving of punishment and so God punished Israel. How did he do that? A plague of snakes. Give me a plague of gnats or a plague of frogs or a plague of boils. Plague of snakes. Dreadful. Dreadful. Imagine that. Many of them died. And they cried out to God for mercy. And God said to Moses to manufacture a bronze snake, a statue of the very thing which was the the, the instrument of judgment to manufacture a bronze snake to put it on a pole, lift it up high 
And why? So that anyone who was bitten could look to that snake on the pole and be miraculously healed and live. Forgiveness, a fresh start, new life in the desert. We all need a fresh start in life because like Israel, none of us have loved and honoured and obeyed God as we should. Our relationship with God is broken. In our natural state, we are dead in our sin and deserving of God's judgment. But God loves us. God loves you. God loves you with such a great love that he didn't just send a snake up into a pole, but God loves you so much that he sent his own son into our world for you and for me. For as Jesus was lifted up on that brutal Roman cross, the guilt for your sin, the guilt for my sin, was transferred to him. Now, I've preached on this passage twice uh, in this church over the last, was it 20, 22 years? Um, the first time was in 1997. And uh, <clears throat> I'd prepared the sermon, I was all ready by Saturday afternoon or whatever. And that night, uh, the Saturday night, I was contacted um, to urgently visit a person who lived out of town, an elderly man who was about to die. He'd chosen to die at home. And as I sat by his deathbed and talked to him for an hour or two, he was fearful, not just of death, but of judgment. The judgment which he knew would follow. There were things in his life that he was not proud of. He was ashamed of. I, I might add nothing particularly out of the ordinary, but he knew that he wasn't right with God. And he felt absolutely helpless. And if there's any time in life that you want to call on a Christian to come and have a chat with you, that's the time. But friends, don't wait till then. Don't put it off. You don't know which day you're going to die. You leave it till you get older, you go into dementia, you can't even understand what's being said to you. Don't leave it till then. But nevertheless, there we were. He was helpless and so I shared with him from John chapter 3. It was kind of on my mind. I shared with him that, that none of us, none of us is good enough for God. None of us being good, being religious, that's not going to help to make up for your sin. Even Nicodemus needed to be born again. And that's why God sent his only son to to take our punishment on the cross so that whoever trusts in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. We talked, we prayed. This man faced up to his sin. He didn't mind it being exposed. This is a time that it needed to be exposed. And uh, well, as far as I could see, he turned to Jesus. 
because he was a, like a man who was relieved of a great burden. And as before I left, he seemed to be a person who was ready to meet God and to do so with confidence. I did his funeral about a week or so later. But the same message preached in this church the following morning was met with criticism, anger and hostility by those who, although religious, were living in spiritual darkness and would not tolerate the light of the gospel exposing their sin, um, <clears throat> cutting through their pride and uh, uh, indicating that they actually need someone else to save them. The re that reality that as good and as moral as we are, that we all need a saviour. For some religious people, that just their pride won't allow them. Uh, they, they, it's evil. It's evil that they do not want their sin to be exposed. Now, thankfully, by God's grace, um, that was then, now is now. <laughs> and uh, God's church here is very different to that, uh, to what it was in those days. But the reason I mention this is that this mixed response should not surprise us. Um, have a look at verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever, loves, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. See, who is the person who lives by the truth? I mean, is John saying here that um, if you try not to tell lies in life, you're going to get to heaven? I don't think that's what he's saying, not at all. It's the person who faces the real truth. It's the first person who faces the truth that they are dead in their sins, that they are deserving of judgment. It's the person who lives in... Who looks to the one who has been lifted up on the pole and humbly trusts in him. Forgiven, restored, born again by water and spirit. Isn't it wonderful when someone becomes a Christian? Um, <clears throat> one reporter said of Kanye West, this is amazing. His whole life has been turned upside down. <clears throat> this reporter said, <clears throat> I'm all for it. It's a good thing. Uh, John says that when a person becomes a Christian, when they're born again, when their life is so radically changed, well, it can be plainly seen that this is nothing of human origin. This is something which is the work of God. That's what it is. When Nicodemus came to Jesus... He did so in the darkness of night. Jesus described him as being unbelieving. And yet, as we look through John's Gospel, something, something was happening in the life of this leading Pharisee. A few chapters later, he defended Jesus um, amongst the Jewish leaders. 
And in John chapter 19, after Jesus died, a, a disciple by the name of Joseph of Arimathea um, took Jesus' body and he wrapped it in cloth, which was mixed with uh, lots of spices. And he took the body and he placed the body in the tomb. He did not do this by himself. He had help. Who was it who helped him? It was Nicodemus. Uh, John says it was Nicodemus, the man who had earlier come to him in the night. He's not described as being a disciple. So we don't know for sure ultimately how he responded to Jesus. But we do know that Jesus challenged him, told him emphatically. He says to him, truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly. He told him emphatically that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And in verse 7, Jesus got very, very personal with Nicodemus because he said to him, in fact, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You, the religious leader, you, the member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, you, Israel's teacher, you emphatically and personally, you must be born again. Friends, if Nicodemus, with his religious qualifications, with his position, with his integrity, if he needed to be born again, then so do you. So do you. We all need that fresh start. For as John chapter 3 verse 16 says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Which is not only a description of the length of time of eternity, but the quality of time, the quality of life, your life lived in relationship with your Creator forever. So how about you? Have you made that fresh start? Have you been born again? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your great love um, that was so astonishing that you sent your only son into our world, that whoever believes in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. We pray for each one of us here that we wouldn't be people who trust in our own um, goodness or our own um, righteousness, but rather that we would allow the light of, you, of your gospel to expose our sin and our need to trust in the one who was lifted up high on that pole. Father, we pray that for each one of us here that we would be born again of water and spirit, cleansed by the blood of Jesus and renewed by your Holy Spirit in our lives, that all glory would go to you. Amen.